I pray that you will lead us, pray that you will guide us. Uh, Lord, often times we come here and we are weak, we are distracted, with many things going on in our lives. But Lord, I pray that you will be our strength this morning. Help us. I need your help. I need you to lead and guide me. And we need your help to listen to what you have to say. And so, Lord, help us, we pray. Wonderful things in your word. And Lord, we want to hear this morning. In your precious, wonderful name. Amen. Amen. Hopefully you'll still be able to hear me this morning. I'm not mic'd up, but that's okay. I think things uh, weren't going exactly according to plan um, with the sound. So apologies for that. But hopefully you'll be able to still hear me. Um, I tend to shout anyway, mic or not. So we'll, we'll figure that out. If you could open your Bibles to Judges chapter 14. Judges chapter 14. And I had the plan to try and um, finish the book of Judges before Christmas, and that didn't really work out so well. Um, so the plan is, hopefully we'll have about five sermons left in the book of Judges. That's the plan, not the guarantee. Um, hopefully we'll be there. And so just to let you know as well, for the parents, uh, for the children, and the last probably two sermons of that five, uh, we are going to be, I am going to be preaching through probably what I would describe some of the most vile chapters in the scriptures. Um, and I honestly don't know how I'm going to handle it yet. Uh, so I've got a couple of Sundays to get that ready and pray. But I just want to let you know as parents um, to, to keep an eye out on that. Maybe read the last chapters of Judges. And remember this, two things. As I preach, I'm going to be preaching with my children in the room, so I recognize that. But also, for all of your children, I actually kind of like your children. I don't want to harm them, I love them. And I want them to hear the truth of God's Word. And I actually think sometimes the difficult passage in God's Word are often a pathway for us to have some of the difficult conversations that we need to have with our children in preparing them for a world that, let's be honest, is and so if we can, we can teach them and help them through that with the Bible, that would be a great thing. Um, so yeah, that's just heads up and I'll let you know as we go. Um, as we were leading up to Christmas, uh, I decided that I would you know, buy Luana a couple of presents at Christmas. We're not really good at buying each other presents. Well, she's really good at buying me presents. <laughs> I say me because I feel so guilty if I say I. I say these are not good at buying presents. Um, there has to be. I bought you songs. There has been an occasion where Luana has bought her own presents. So. That's, why, that's why you need the men's group on Wednesdays. Um, kick me back into gear. But I decided, you know what, this year I'm going to get her some presents. And so, like a stocking or whatever, and I, you know, I walked into Penny's, you know, the fine establishment that it is, and I said, oh, I'm going to get get some stuff for her. And and going into Penny's, walking into Penny's, that's no problem whatsoever. Walk into Penny's, that's fine. Getting out of Penny's, that's a problem because you buy your stuff, 
and then you're going to try and, and for me, I just want to walk straight to the till and buy my stuff. But in pennies, what you have to do is you have to walk through what I call the maze before you get to the till. They make you walk through this like corridor of stuff as you go around and you line up. And, and the stuff is there to do what? To entice you to buy more. And if you're a guy like me walking through that aisle, you're kind of like, ooh, some candles, great, or a notebook, or pens, or sweets, or chocolate, or some of the places, like I saw on TK Maxx, they actually have like a, a fridge in the maze where you can get your drinks as you wait in the queue. The reason they do that is because they know that we are people who are driven by our senses. We are driven by what we see. We are driven by what we taste. We are driven by what we smell. We are driven by what we hear. We are driven by what we touch. And so the game in the shop, as you walk through the maze, is trying to, to try and entice you to buy some more stuff. Same if you walk into a normal little shop. You will see none of the sweets have grey or black and white packages. What do they have? They have very colourful packages. And you have to buy your stuff in the shop and walk through that sweet maze before you get to the till. Because why? They want to entice and enliven your senses. Because we are people who are driven by what we see, what we smell, what we taste, what we hear, and what we touch. And as Christians, we need to be very careful with our senses. The world will say, if it feels good, do it. If it looks good, do it. If it tastes good, eat it. That's what the world will say. But the Bible will tell us that with our senses, we are to do all things unto the glory of the Lord. And if there is a man in the scripture that is driven by his senses, it would be this guy that we're going to look at this morning. His name is Samson. He is a man that is driven by his senses and he seeks to use them for his own pleasure and his own satisfaction. So what I want you to do this morning is look at how this man uses his senses. You will see in the first few verses, Samson's lusting. Samson's use of his eyes, his lusting. In chapter 14, verse 1, it says... Samson went down to Timnah, and at Timnah he saw one of the Philistine daughters. Then he came up and told his father and mother, I saw one of the daughters of the Philistines at Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. But his father and mother said to him, Is there not a woman among the daughters of your relatives or among all our people? that you must go to take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines. But Samson said to his father, Get her, for she is right in my eyes. Samson is a man who is driven by what he sees. Samson sees this woman and he says, I want her as my wife. There's no conversation. There's no flowers. There's no first date. There's none of that. He says, I see, I want. Get her for me. And, and the parents are trying to say, but look, maybe there's maybe a nice girl or someone they might know. And he says, no, I see her, I want her. This is a man who is driven by his senses. And you know where it all begins? It all begins in verse 1 when it says, Samson went 
down to Timnah. Whenever God's people leave God's land and go down somewhere, it never ends up for them. They went down to Egypt. How did that end up for them? Not so good. They went down to Moab. How did that end up for them? And so when he goes down to Timnah, what's happening? He is going the wrong direction. And he sees one of the daughters, and he says, mine. And you say, well, what, what's wrong with that? What's wrong with him using his senses, seeing a beautiful woman, and wanting that woman? Isn't, isn't it right and good and biblical for a man to want to be with a woman? And nowadays, we actually have to say that. It is good for a man to want to be with a woman. Is, is there any? say, well, biblically speaking, he's a man and maybe he's taking some initiative. Is there anything wrong with that? And you might say, no. So what's the problem? The problem is this. If you've ever looked at marriages, ever looked at marriages, you will see that they start talking like each other. Have you seen this? They start talking like each other in marriages. They start thinking like each other in marriages. They start acting like each other in marriages. And even in some very weird they start looking like each other in marriages. Have you seen that? It's really weird. I don't think that's here, but it, it happens. It happens. You start to be like each other. You start to act like each other, talk like each other, speak like each other, think like each other. And the reason they didn't want their son being with a foreign woman, a Philistine woman, is this. You will start acting like them, speaking like them, and worst of all, you will start worshipping the pagan gods like that. We do not want that for you. But Samson is driven by his senses, his lust. So that's the first thing we see with Samson. Second thing I want you to see is his eating. Look at what he does. In verse 5, it then says, Then Samson went down. He didn't go up, he went down in the wrong direction. This is like going district and, and saying to yourself, you know what, I'm going to walk down and I'm just going to keep my eyes down. I'm not going to look at anything. How about you don't walk down the red light district? That would be a good thing. But he goes down again to Timnah with his father and his mother. And they came to the vineyards of Timnah and behold, a young lion came toward him roaring. Verse 6. Then the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him and though he, although nothing in his hand, he tore the lion in pieces as one tears a young goat. Now the men back in the day must have been strong. Samson tore the lion to pieces. Okay, maybe he's a special guy. He tore, tears the lion to pieces. But then it says, as one tears a young goat to pieces. Lads, if I had a small little book and tried to tear that book, I could barely break it apart. These guys are ripping goats apart apparently. <laughs> But he rips a lion apart as the men would rip goats apart. Then it says, But he did not tell his father or his mother what he had done. He went down. You see, you never go up. He went down and talked with the woman. And she was right in Samson's eyes. I bet she was. In verse 8. After some days, he returned. He went down again. He still wants to see her. He returned to take her. And he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion. And behold, there was a swarm of bees in the body of the lion and honey. He scraped it out into his hands and went on eating as he went. He came to his father and mother and gave some to them and they ate. But 
He did not tell them that he had scraped the honey from the carcass of the lion. We see in Samson a man that is driven by his senses. He sees the woman. I want it. Get her for me. He sees the honey. Hmm, I want it. Get it for me. It's like he's walking through the maze saying, oh, a woman, oh, a lion, oh, some honey. I want it, I want it, I want it. He is a man who is driven by his senses. And you might say to yourself, well, what's wrong with him taking honey from a lion? Apart from it being absolutely gross and disgusting to eat honey from the carcass of a lion, what's wrong with him doing that? If he's hungry, why shouldn't he eat? The problem with that is that Samson is a Nazarite. He was, he was not only part of the people of God, so he wasn't meant to interact with the foreign nations, but as a Nazarite, you were not allowed to do three things. You were not allowed to drink alcohol. You were not allowed to cut your hair, and that will be significant later. And you were not allowed to go near or touch a dead body, let alone eat honey from that dead body. And so what Samson is doing is he's breaking his calling. He's breaking the calling that he was given in his life that he would be set apart and devoted to God. And as a person especially set out and devoted to God, he was not supposed to do any of these things, and yet he does them. He's a man who follows totally after his senses. And what I want you to see in those two things, him, him lusting and his eating, I want you to see the pattern. You see, because there is a pattern. What happens when he comes past the carcass is this. He sees it. He wants it. And he eats it. That's the pattern. Sees, wants, eats. That's the pattern. Comes past the woman, what happens? He sees, he wants, he doesn't eat, that would be weird. He sees, he wants, and he looks to take her for himself. That's the pattern. And if you hear that pattern, see, want, eat, does that remind you of any pattern that you know in Scripture? Sees, wants, eats. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, it says this. And so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took the fruit and she ate it. And she gave some to her husband, who was with her. People forget that. The husband was standing there. He was with her. Who was given the command not to eat the fruit? It was the husband. And he's standing there. Hope you like it. Do you want some? Oh yeah, I'll take it. See, that's what guys all, all often are tempted to do. Stand around and let her buy all the presents. Sit around and We're tempted with that, aren't we? So it wasn't entirely her fault. He was supposed to be the leader to give her. But what I want you to know is the pattern. Sees, wants, eats. That's the pattern. That's how we've fallen into this mess. And that pattern in theology is called original sin. What Wayne Grudem would call inherited sin. 
So what you'll see throughout the scripture, there is this pattern where people see, want, and eat. Lot, Lot and Abraham are dividing out the land, and Lot sees, you know, Sodom and Gomorrah, and it looks all beautiful. He sees, he wants, he takes, he uses the same verbs, the same language, and, and it's repeated right the way throughout the scripture. And we have inherited that problem, haven't we? How many times in the day? That is the temptation for us. That is the sin that we have inherited. And so we as Christians, when it comes to our senses, what we see, what we smell, what we taste, what we hear, what we touch, when it comes to our senses, we have two options. Either we primarily, like Samson, use our senses to gratify ourselves, to satisfy ourselves, or, or we use our senses so that with your eyes, you have an option of what you are to do with your eyes, what you are to see with your eyes. As a Christian, you have an option. The world will tell you, listen, you have eyes to see desire. You can look at a man whatever way you want to look at a man. As long as it makes you feel happy, you can look at a woman, any woman you want, in whatever way you want, as long as it makes you feel happy. You can take your, your phone and look at whatever you want. As long as it pleases your eye, you can take your the world will say to you. But for Christians, we need to seek to control our senses. Not use them to satisfy ourselves, but use them to glorify God. So that when we see beauty, we give Him praise. So at Christmas, I took, I took my kids, I took our kids and I took some of the cousins and we went walking in the woods. And when we went walking in the woods, I started, and I've seen these woods all my life. I've seen them all my life. We started walking through the woods and I saw the trees and I saw the leaves on the ground and we were kind of sludging through them. As we were sludging through them, I started to realize and get overwhelmed with this fact. My creator has made these things. And in the woods, as I'm walking with the kids, as God has given me eyes that I would see his creation and worship him. Now, now, don't get me wrong. It's not like every time I walk down a footpath, I'm like, oh, praise Jesus, a footpath or, or trees or, or birds. I would love to have more of them. We're given these eyes, we're given these things to enjoy him and glorify him, not ourselves. Same with Eden. I mean, I mean, you look at Samson's eating, what, what we taste, sometimes we, we, we just use our, our food to overindulge and satisfy ourselves. But I really think we can use these taste buds to do what? Glorify Him. What a cool theology we would have. If we would just say to ourselves, I can give glory to Him by just looking at His creation. I can give glory to Him by eating something good. So a, a while ago... Um, uh, and made some food for, for the kids. And then we were going to kind of do our own thing. She was going to kind of do hers. I was going to kind of do So I went to Aldi and I bought fillet steak. And we had like chunky frozen chips. And we've, we've, we've got this air fryer. And, and I've turned into Gordon Ramsay with this air fryer. I can just, you know, you just shove this stuff in there. You click it on and boom. I'm a legend. And so I put in my fillet steak. I put in... And my chips, I got like um, garlic butter from Aldi as well. It's not the good garlic butter, but it's it's good enough for me. And I sat down and I got my Coke Zero. I had Coke Zero. I'm not ashamed to say I had Coke Zero. <laughs> I sat down with that plate. 
And I think you can. I believe you can. I but I can also overindulge to the satisfaction of myself. So brothers and sisters, what I think we are called to see in this warning of Samson's life, as we look on at Samson and lusting and meeting, we're called to say, don't do that. Like Alex was reading this morning. Do not love the world or the things in the world. For all the things in the world are passing away. All this stuff is passing away. So I can glory in, in, in all the stuff in creation, but no, it is not all going to last. And so, brothers and sisters, I would encourage us to watch out for our senses, but glorify God in using them. And so we see his lusting, we see his eating, but also in that passage, I think just briefly, you see his hiding. You know, after he ripped the lion, the lion apart, as one would rip a goat apart in verse 6, it says this, but he did not tell his father and mother what he had done. And then the end of verse 9, after he had eaten the honey and, and taken it to his parents, it says, but he did not tell them, at the end of verse 9, what he had done, that he had scraped it from the honey. You see, there is this secret. He is hiding. He is hiding because he knows he has done something wrong. That word tell or told is used over 14 times in this passage. You will notice it later on in the passage, tell or told. And there's this idea constantly as people are seeking to satisfy their own, own desires. There's this idea of constantly trying to hide what you have done. So Samson knows his calling, knows that he is a Nazarite, knows that he is not meant to go near a dead body, and so he chooses not to tell his parents. I wonder if the kids in this room ever do something and you choose not to tell your parents. That happens. And your parents say, did you do this? And you say, no, I didn't do that. Sometimes we Is that That's not only true for the children, that's also true for the parents. When the adults in this room, when we do something wrong, we are tempted to do what? We're tempted to hide. What did Adam and Eve do after they took the fruit in the garden? After they saw, after they took, after they ate, what did they do? They hid. They hid. And that's the temptation for all of us in our sin, is to hide. So we have to ask, where are you hiding right now? What sins are you hiding right now? All of us hide. But what the Bible would say is, don't hide your sin. We think we try and protect ourselves, we try and hide it. But the Bible would tell us is, no, confess your sin. When you hide your sin, you keep it into the dark. I keep it in the dark, I don't want anybody else to know. But when you confess your sin, you bring it into the light. And as you confess your sin and you bring it into the light, he who is just, he who is faithful, he will forgive you. You see, when you hide your sin, the devil, the evil one, is very good, very good at doing two things. Lying to you and accusing you. Lying to you by saying, listen, you are the only one who commits this sin. You're on your own here. Accusing you by saying stuff like this. You're not even a Christian. Imagine a Christian doing these things. That's the problem with hiding our sin. He accuses, he accuses us. He accuses us. But if we confess our sin, 
we don't hide our sins, if we confess our sins to Him, He is faithful and He is just. And He will forgive us of all our sins. And so I'd encourage you this morning not to hide like Samson, but to confess. Samson's lusting, his eating, his hiding. Just one verse very quickly, his parting, verse, verse 10. His father went down. His father didn't go up. His father went down to the woman and Samson prepared a feast there. For so the young men used to do. So Samson, his father, comes down and Samson prepares a feast. But what that feast was, it wasn't just food. The feast was almost like, back in the day, almost like a drinking festival. So, so what is he not supposed to do as a Nazarite? He's not supposed to go near dead bodies. He's not supposed to cut his hair, which will be relevant later. And he's not supposed to drink any alcohol. That is significant and unique for Samson. He is not supposed to do that. And instead, what Samson does is he hosts this drinking festival like all the young men used to do. What is happening to him? He's living in the world, and he's becoming like the world. He's becoming like them, his parting. We see that in his life. And then his betting, verse 11. As soon as the people saw him, they brought three companions. If you can tell me what it is within seven days of the feast and find out, then I will give you 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothes. But if... You cannot tell me what it is, what the riddle is. Then you shall give you shall give me that we may hear it. Verse fourteen. And he said to them, Out of the eater came something to eat, out of the strong came something sweet. And in three days of the riddle. As you look at Samson, and as you look at your life, his life, you see a man of lusting. A man of hiding, a man of partying, a man of betting. Why does he put this riddle? Because they're drinking. I'll tell you what I'll do. Um, um, if I give you a riddle and, and then and give it to me. If I confuse you with the riddle, you have to give the stuff to me. It's a who is driven by his senses. Do you know how I would summarize? Samson is a man who is doing what is right in his own eyes. He is a man who is doing what is right in his sight. He shouldn't have this woman. Well, she's right in my sight. Get her for me. Do you know what Samson's doing? In modern language, following after your own eyes, doing what is right in your own sight, is like this. Following your heart. It's not beautiful when the world says, heart damages everybody else. That's what people say to older men. Follow your heart. But following his heart leaving his wife, his family, his job, his children. Follow your heart? What rubbish advice! That's what the world would say. If you're in love, you leave. That sustains the marriage. It is the covenant before God that sustains the marriage. It is not, it is not this type of feeling that goes in and out and whatever. You can't just do what you want and what you like. Oh, the world will say, whatever makes you happy. What makes you happy? If it makes you happy, you go and you do it. What happens if it makes everybody else sad? Doesn't matter. Makes you happy? Go for it. You do you, the world says. As long as it's good for you. See, because you can't help anybody else. You can't help anybody else if you're not right yourself. 
In some ways, I suppose that's true. The Bible wouldn't say to us that we are not to look after ourselves. Of course, we are to do that. Eat right and, and, and dress appropriately and all that stuff. We are to look after ourselves. But the re reality of the Bible is this. Our life is to be others focused. What's the command? Love the Lord your God. With all your heart, soul, mind and strength. Love your neighbor. That's what we're to be doing. Others focused. But if we are driven by only our senses. And we give our senses. recall anything our senses want. We will be all about ourselves and doing what is right in our own eyes. So that's his bed. Finally, uh, Samson didn't you know, give himself more of a bad rap. Um, his killing and his stealing. Verse 15. So yes, on the fourth day of the seventh day drinking fest, here's what happens. They get annoyed. Verse 15. On the fourth day, they said to Samson's wife, entice your husband to tell us what the riddle is. Entice him. How do you entice people? You appeal to their senses. Entice him to tell us what the riddle is. Lest we burn you and your father's house of fire. That will motivate someone. Have you invited us here to impoverish us? Verse 16. And Samson's wife wept over him and said, You only hate me. You do not love me. You have put a riddle to my people and you have not told me what it is. How is she going to win him over? She'll cry at him. Cry at him for seven days. And he said to her, Behold, I have not told my father nor my mother and shall I tell you? Verse 17, She wept before him the seven days that their feast lasted. And on the seventh day he told her because she then she told the riddle to her people. And the men of the city said to him on the seventh day before the sun went down, What is sweeter than honey? What is stronger than a lion? And he said to them, This is harsh. If you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have found out my riddle. Certain things you don't call your wife. One of them is a heifer. And then comes the killing and the stealing. Verse 19. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and he went down, not up, he went down to Ashkelon, and struck down the thirty men of the town, and took their spoil. He killed the thirty men. He took their spoil, and gave the garments to those who had told the riddle. In hot anger, he went back, he went up to his father's house. So Samson loses the bet. He comes to these 30 randomers. He said to the other guys, I'll give you 30 garments. You think they're going to be 30 of his own garments? He's so angry, he takes 30 of his enemies. He kills them, grabs the clothes, throws them to the guys he won the bet to. There you go. And he goes back up to his father's house, the end. Encouraging story. You see his lusting, his eating, his hiding, his parting, his bedding, his killing. You see all of that, his stealing. And you say to me, well Shane, there's something else I see. I see in his life 
amongst all the lusting and eating and hiding and parting and betting and killing and stealing, I see these verses, it tells me that the Spirit of the Lord is at work. Before he tears the lion apart, the Spirit of the Lord rushes upon him. Before he kills the people, the Spirit of the Lord rushes upon him. You might say, well, how on earth does the Spirit of the Lord empower this man? Because the Spirit of the Lord is a sign of God's power and not a sign of the people's perfection. The Spirit of the Lord is a sign of God's power and not a sign of the people's perfection. What that means is that everything Samson does after he receives the power of the Holy Spirit doesn't mean that God condones every single action of this man. In fact, God is working with him despite his sin. And so one of the key verses, it is the last verse I will leave with you, the key verse in this chapter is verse 4. Look back at verse 4. After Samson sees this woman, he wants her, he desires her, he says, she is right in my own eyes. Listen to what it says and listen carefully. His father and mother did not know that it was from the Lord. For he was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines. At that time, the Philistines ruled over Israel. So was it from the Lord that he was lusting after this woman? It's not that though it's from the Lord. What is happening is that the Lord, in His sovereignty and in His control, the Lord is going to use all of Samson's lusting and, and hiding and stealing and killing. He is going to use all of his sin for His purposes and glory. The Lord is not the author of sin. He hates sin. He doesn't condone sin of those sinful people for the glory of His name. Otherwise, we believe in a Lord who's just up there scratching his head saying, I don't know what I'm doing with their sin. But I guess I better leave them all at it. No. The Lord has ultimate sovereign control over everything. And he can use sinners and their sinful actions for his purposes and plans. That was all the people. But then you look at the what you see in the cross is people doing evil things, spitting and beating and flogging and nailing and shouting and cursing, and yet God uses all of that sin, all of it, for His purposes, His plans, and His glory, and for our salvation. That gives each and every sinner in this room, which covers everybody, absolute hope. Because though I have messed up, my God, my King, He can use even my sin for His purposes and glory. And He can use a sinner like me for His purposes and His glory. And he calls sinners like you and me to come to him and ask him for the forgiveness of our sins, no matter how messed up our life is, and he will choose to use us. Do you know one thing all of the judges have in common? 
All of the judges in the book of Judges, have you noticed this? There's one thread that they all have in common. Every single one of the judges is messed up. Every single one of them. Absolutely messed up. Every one of them. Flawed. And yet God uses each and every single one of them to save his people. And what is the expectation built in that? That as you look at the judges and see all their failings and, and the foolishness that all of them are taking part in, you say to yourself, there's this longing in the book of Judges where you say to yourself, there's got to be a better rescuer than these guys. They're all flawed. They're all messed up. And that's exactly what each judge points to. Your way, Jesus Christ. And each one of them ultimately points to Pretty messed up chapter. It gets worse. It gets worse. But the last verse in the chapter, verse 20, says this. And Samson's wife was given to his companion, being his best man. You wonder, what is Samson going to do when he finds out that his wife is with his best man. It is going to be utter carnage. And we'll look at that next week. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for uh, the warning that this chapter presents to us. That we be careful with how we use our senses. Lord, that we seek to glorify you in all that we see, in all that we hear, in all that we taste, taste and touch, that we would seek to glorify you, to live for you and you alone. In your precious and wonderful name, we pray these things. Amen. Want us to sing in response? Stand and sing.